Welcome to the Volrath Feed, the show that's focused on bringing you into the commercial side of the food industry, well, most of the time. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company, and with me today, as always, is our producer, Justin Pearson. Hello, Justin. Hey, Rich, what's up? How are things today? Today is a great day. I feel it in my bones. It's going to be a great day, <laughs> a great podcast. We've got a great guest. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, yeah. It's just all things are looking in our direction. It's a gorgeous autumn day, and like you said, we've got a fantastic guest, uh, lots of great things to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Our guest today is Chef Graham Elliott, who is uh, probably known to most uh, people for his television celebrity more than anything else, uh, as he's been on several cooking shows on television. But um, I think he started as a, a contestant on Iron Chef, and then spent a bunch of time on MasterChef and MasterChef Junior. And then he left there and he was doing some other things, but he has been all over television. But what people don't really know about him is that, uh, maybe they do, but don't often think maybe, is he's a tremendously talented chef who's mm -hmm. received many industry awards, accolades, James Beard nominations. I mean, everything that classifies someone to be a you know tremendous, uh, tremendously successful chef. Um, classically trained. Went to Johnson Wales Culinary School, which we uh, have some things over at uh, mm -hmm. in the Volrath world. And then after that, I mean, he hit the ground running at age 27. After graduating from school, he became the youngest four-star chef, chef to be named in any major U.S. city. He was inducted in the Chicago Chefs Hall of Fame. He was named one of Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chefs in 2004. And then he opened his own restaurant, Graham Elliott, in Chicago which went on to become one of only 15 restaurants in the U.S. to be awarded two Michelin stars. And we've talked about Michelin stars, right? That's a big deal. That's that like totally anonymous, deal. right? So he's, again, I hate I, the real deal, really. He's, yeah. uh, he's got it going on. So he's got many skills in many different areas, so it'll be exciting to talk to him today. I'm really looking forward to hearing his perspective on his restaurant side and also that TV side that he brings to, yeah. to the show. So, well... Like you were saying, a lot of people tend to forget that that when a, a chef of his caliber hits mainstream, they they kind of forget that he is a legitimate chef and he has uh, some real backing and some real knowledge and real experience to go along with that, and that's that's what carried him to where he is. Rather than being in in the entertainment industry first and then a food person second. Well, and he's got both sides of the the industry side where the um television side where he was a contestant mm -hmm. and he's been a judge you know and he's legitimate chef so i mean it's it's a, a real deal here for him it'll be interesting to hear hopefully we'll hear some behind the scenes stuff maybe he'll let a little bit out of the bag that you know when you're actually on tv and i've heard one friend of mine who was on one of the shows i forget which one but he said you know an hour on television isn't really an hour in the studio there's right there's breaks and they they pause at different points for different things. So it's a little different than what you see. So maybe we'll get some of that. Yeah, it's fun to pull back the curtain and and, and see what goes on and how things really are. And, and not not to take the magic out of it, but just to show that things are all always fabricated in some way or another when, when you're seeing it on television. There's, there's always a goal or overarching message or something that has to be um, catered to. Yeah, that'll be an interesting take, I think, for myself and I think a lot of our listeners. I don't think many people have been in that position where you get to see the 
the behind the scenes. So interesting stuff there for sure. And I also will be interested in hearing about how he runs his restaurants is that's, that's another side of this all right, where, you know, he talked about like in his restaurant, he wanted the chef to be totally responsible for the dish. You know, like if you watch Hell's Kitchen or you watch some of these shows and you look at how restaurants are run, sometimes there's a area that, that talks about, or that makes the, the entree part of it. There's another one that does the, say the, the veg or someone else does a sauce for it. Well, he wants that chef to be responsible for all of that. So that's like their own little uh, station that they have to prepare this this dish in. So I wonder, you know, talking to him about that and how that all comes together in the kitchen, if, if that, uh, how he likes that versus the others where you've got different people contributing to the dish. Yeah. And I also wonder, you know, like those chefs that are working that dish, do they have a say in what their station is? Like if a chef says, well, I want this piece of equipment, I want that, does he you know, believe that that chef gets that or is it uh, still up to the kitchen manager or the, <laughs> the person who owns the restaurant to right, to try right. I would I would like to discover too how we, how we came to that. How do, how do you develop your style? I mean, that's, that's what every, every artist, no matter what your medium is, you have to develop and grab and pick uh, what you like about other people and other styles and other techniques to develop what works for you. So it'd be interesting to hear how he got to where he is and, and how he got to where he likes what doing things the way he does. Right. I mean, who, who were major influence, influences on that? Right. And I, I, that another area I really want to get at with him is he is so busy. He's got so much going on. Um, and we've talked about this on other shows with other chefs. The restaurant industry is notorious for being mm-hmm. tough on relationships. It really is. I know he met his wife, I believe, when they were working together in the industry, so that's got to help. But how do you balance it all? That's, right. That is the, the trick that I think a lot of restaurant uh, people in general, certainly owners, uh, could benefit from because it is a tough business to manage all that and balance it all successfully. Well, you, and that's just – and we're just talking about the food service side. And then you throw uh, celebrityism on top of that, and then you are always on. You have yes. to – you have to manage your presence uh, digitally, and then whenever you go out in public, you're recognized, and you have to take that into account. So that, how do you unplug? How do you switch off for a little while? Where do you go? What do you do so that you can just be uh, an average Joe for five minutes? Right. Yeah, that'll be interesting to hear. I mean, with him, he's very recognizable by the white glasses, right? If he takes those off, I wonder if he could just be like the fourth person in line at the at the U- mini mark or something, right? <laughs> yeah, is that like the ZZ Top approach? You got right. the, the big beards and you just like hang yeah. the beard up and like, all right, I'm just gonna go down to the grocery store and yep. buy some eggs. That's right. Is he is he uh, that recognizable? His personal brand. We'll talk about that as well. Well, Justin, I, I think I want to get to our guest pretty quickly today. Is I think we are going to have a lot to talk about. I think this mm-hmm. is going to be a really fun show. So I want to make sure we have time to cover it all. And to remind everyone, uh, once again, we have Graham Elliott on the show with us today. Chef, thank you for taking the time today. Welcome to the Volrath feed. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, the invite. I'm excited to chat. Oh, yeah. Our pleasure. <laughs> thank you. So what's, uh, I know you're living in Chicago currently. How are things down there? And you and the family keeping busy in this, in this time? You're getting a little break from everything. I suppose that's kind of nice in some ways. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, as, as chefs, you know, you're, you're used to being 
swamped with a million different projects. And right now with everything on shutdown, uh, from TV to events, appearances, demos, restaurants, all of that is basically just frozen right now in time. So uh, the only thing that I kind of take from it is I'm not the only one going through it. It's not only my profession, everyone's dealing with it, but you got to keep thinking that we'll be stronger and better for it at the end. And it's also a good chance to reconnect with the people that you really do love and care about. So, you know, I think as a dad, um, you know, you're always looking back and realizing you're so busy, you missed the first t-ball game. You weren't there when your kid lost his first tooth, whatever. Now you're around for those things. So, uh, you know, take advantage of it. All right. Your family must be thinking, what is this? You're home all the time. Is that a good thing? I mean, is your wife yeah. used to that? <laughs> yes, Mom, Sometimes that doesn't always this, work out. <laughs> who's the strange man in our house? <laughs> <laughs> now you met your wife. She was in food service as well. Is that true? That is true. She um, was a food and beverage manager at the Peninsula Hotel when I was there. And uh, we met and headed off and been together since. Well, that's got to help. At least she understands some of the business because otherwise that can be a pretty difficult one to get through. Yeah. And it's interesting how that whole thing's evolved since we met. I mean, that was in 2006. So 14 years later, you have uh, going from just trying to get, you know, awards and be the best chef you can be to, you know, TV and then Lollapalooza and then, you know, more of a public persona. So it's, it's good to have someone that's been through that journey with you from the beginning. Right, right. So, and you talking about it, and one of the things we always like to talk to chefs uh, when they come on the show is uh, there's some chefs that get into it because of necessity. In other words, they're, they got a job at a restaurant and one night got busy and they got hauled in the kitchen and that's kind of where they stayed. For others, it was this realization at a very young age that that's what they wanted to do. And wh when was that moment or how did that happen for you? Yeah, so I guess a little background. My dad was in the Navy, traveled around the world. You know, I ended up going to 15 different schools, three high schools. So, you know, you're never anywhere more than two years, I guess. He was a diver, so he was always going in the ocean and bringing back weird ingredients, octopus and lobsters, and, you know, we'd go out spearfishing together. So, to me, the weirder, the better. You know, living in the Philippines, I'm trying dog and monkey wow. and balut and, you know, weird stuff like that. So, I was always just blown away by the idea that people eat frog legs or snails you know like as a kid it's like that is the coolest thing of all time whereas i think some other people that maybe if they live just in the midwest you know or, or somewhere small town steak and potatoes like that that whole um i can't think of the word right now oh stereotype you know that that flyover country that's what people eat I'm sure there's other things out there but i was not raised with that kind of food so i always loved food so when i turn um 15, I started working in um, Maryland, then moved to Virginia Beach and got a job as a busboy and dishwasher at 17. And from there, it's, you know, no looking back. Been in the kitchen, cooking school, working for great chefs, and, and that's been it. So it's been well over half my life now. So being a Navy in the Navy, you traveled, you experienced all these really cool things. Like, did you get to hang out with, with some of the people or you were exposed to that life of, of, a, of a Navy on the base? Is that what you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're moving to, you know, different location because dad, you know, that's why they call them orders. So you're getting orders, <laughs> you're getting traveled around and moved. And um, so you go to, you know, district spots from Southern Maryland to uh, the coast of California to Hawaii, Philippines, Virginia, everywhere in between. And um, 
you know, you're exposed to different food. Food is a way that translate what people and the region is uh, and what it's based on. So I was always in love with that part and um, loved eating, obviously. <laughs> loved the story behind it. Yeah. And then realized that I could do this not just as a job, but a way of life and use my hands. And it's a mix of history, artistry, geography, chemistry, you know, everything you can think of. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it still keeps me excited and pushes me forward, you know, two and a half decades later. Yeah. So traveling around so much and moving around uh, as, as uh, a youth, I, I did quite a bit of moving, not nearly as much as you, but I had to learn how to make friends and how to adapt to that. What, what was that experience like for you? Did you make a lot of new friends and have friends all over the place? Or did you just kind of like, well, I'm going to keep to myself because I know I'm not going to be here that long? Yeah, I feel like you have really those two options. You're either the guy that melts away in the back of the classroom and holds their breath until you move or do everything you can to, uh, to get along right away with people. And that's what I did. And, you know, the self-deprecating, big fun dude and uh, do anything for a laugh and be Mr. Creative. So that was me. But what was also cool is, every single time you got to recreate yourself. So it's like, Oh, I'm the guy that's a, yeah. you know, cowboy that's, with a cool boot. That's right. And it's like, wait, no, I'm, I'm Eminem. I'm all about rapping and I'm on the skater this year. So I had this ability to walk into a room and be super comfortable, want to be the light of the party, talk to everyone, hang out. But then as soon as it's like one-on-one, -on -one, I freeze up and just, you know, got to escape and run to the bathroom or do something or get on my phone yeah. or, um, and also know it's super hard to ever really connect with anyone because you know that they're going to leave you or you're going to yeah, leave them. Right. And, uh, you know, again, think of when we grew up, there was no Facebook, internet, texting. Mm -hmm. uh, if you moved, you had long distance calls, it was too expensive. So you, you meet these people, you bond, you go, you know, you share everything and then you move. And mm -hmm. it's the uh. same thing in the kitchen where I've worked with people 10 years and they could, you know, bailing out of jail, they know everything but they've never been to my house. I've never been to theirs. We've never, it's kind of like a professional thing because they also end up putting in their notice and moving on, which is just the nature of the business. So it's the same thing. I need to like protect myself to where when they say I'm leaving or somebody gets in an argument with you, you're like, okay, cool. And you just flip the switch and it's yeah. like, see ya next. Yeah. yeah you next. know, that's, yeah. Is that where skating came from? Was that a reinvention phase? Well, actually, my brother and I started in California in 86. And my brother actually was like a pro. And now he runs a skate camp in Colorado called Square State Skate, where they have like four camps for kids. And we always talk about the similarity between skateboarding, where that's your board, that's your, your canvas. I have knives and a cutting board. It's all about technique, but also making your own, um, your own voice be heard through the tricks you do and what, you know, mm -hmm. are you a ramp guy, a street guy, freestyle? What, what is it? And so we share a lot of that kind of stuff, but I still skate. But what's funny is that as you get older, just like dancing, you've got this muscle memory where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do a hand plant. So I go like this and then you go and try it and you're like, Oh shit. Like my shoulder, my <laughs> muscle, like it's not the same as when you were like 15. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Is longboarding skating? I mean, it's technically a board. It's like, is microwaving macaroni cooking? I yeah, all right. That's, but, that's fair. but I'm going to make fun of you behind your back. It's like rollerbladers. <laughs> oh. yeah. So you, you're growing up and moving around and 
eventually you end up deciding culinary school. You want to go to culinary school. So you go to Johnson Wales yeah. and then you hit the street and you are, you are hitting the ground running, right? You are in restaurants, you're, you're doing your thing, you're making a name, lots of recognition. Things are going good. It was a good yeah. time. Yeah. So I actually moved from Maryland to Virginia, had a rough time in Maryland, ended up losing a school year and having to repeat 11th grade when I got to Virginia. So mm -hmm. basically I did that for like five months and then turned 18, got out, got a GED and went to culinary school. So I felt by the time I finished cooking school, I was 20 with my degree and all my other friends were still working at like Starbucks or the bike shop, you know, figuring out what they want to do with their English lit degree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already on my path. So I was working for, you know, James Beard award-winning chefs and, and, uh, and things like that. And, and just really dove in. And so by the time I was 21, I was working at Charlie Trotters. And then by 23, I was the chef de cuisine of true. Yeah. Then went to, to Vermont, got food and wine, best new chef, and then back to Chicago, got four stars at, uh, at avenues and three beer nominations and all those kind of fun things and then opened my own restaurant by 30. So I, uh, like I said, I, I've always been very driven and goal oriented. I think that work ethic comes from, from my dad. It's kind of like, Oh, here's the best chef of the year award. It's like, okay, great. Throw it aside. Now what we really got to do is get best chef of the century award. Like never really enjoy any of it because there's one more thing to get which is weird now because I feel like I'm at this halfway point in life where do I really want to keep doing this? Have I done what I want and achieved what I want? What's the next half? Uh, that kind of stuff. So with, with COVID especially, I think a lot of people are going through the same thing. Yeah. What yeah I really want to do now. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. Especially with my, I hate saying industry because it's not like we're building cars, but like this cooking lifestyle, what do you really do? Restaurants are broken. That model doesn't yeah. work anymore. Everything's delivery. People just come in, take pictures of food and post it and never come back. Like it, it doesn't make sense to raise $3 million and open a restaurant and hope to break even or close in six months. So we can get all into that. What does the word chef mean? What, is, what does any of that really uh, stand for anymore, you know? Yeah, it really is just all about reinvention. And that's kind of just how the restaurant lifestyle or industry mm -hmm. has been, you know, it's a, when something comes along, uh, you adapt and change and you, you move with what needs to be altered. So I, I think what's, what's funny is I got into it. Like I just need to make minimum wage. I want to work a hundred hours just cause I get to work with scallops that were just hand picked last night and flown in overnight. And they're still moving when I slice them. And this is the greatest thing in the world. And I, you know, people are willing to pay for this and then I can, give them a kitchen tour and show them all the things. And now people that are willing to work around the world and go travel and work for free for three months, you know, at Noma or Alinea, no one got into this to put food in boxes and have somebody from DoorDash come and pick it up. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I feel there's a ton of people now where, I, you know, I don't want to do that. So what am I going to do? If I still love food, am I going to do virtual classes? Do I cook at people's houses? Do I have them come over and, do lesson, like something's going to change. You know, it's, it's just not the same thing anymore. I don't think it'll really go back. There'll be some that go back, but the model I think is gone. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll recover and get back to some of the things we like to do. And I think dining out is one of those, those really um, affordable luxuries that everyone at some level can achieve. So 
I think that's going to come back strong when we do get back into it. And, you know, I think that's depending how, who you believe, how far away it is, but I think we'll get there. And I think everyone will be breathing a big sigh of relief when that finally happens. We'll get back to doing some of that. So, you know, when you were talking about um, all the success you were having in restaurants and like, you know, James Beard and the, the Michelin stars and all those great things. And at what point did you decide, well, you know what, now I'm going to go try something on TV. How did that all come about? I mean, because by all accounts, if you'd have kept going, I mean, you were just would have been a very tremendously successful restaurateur. And then you went on TV and turned into that into a successful avenue as well. I think for me, again, it's, it's how do you define success? And when you achieve awards or accolades that are in this small bubble of the restaurant chef world, that's great. But then you notice a lot of chefs that people know and admire are your TV chefs, right? Mm-hmm. You've got guys that have never worked in a kitchen, but they have shows. You've got people that um, are great in front of a camera that don't know how to cook. And then you do have people that know how to cook and maybe they're not as good in front of the camera, whatever. But this whole thing changed with the Food Network. And then you add Iron Chef and stuff like that. And I love the, the competitive aspect. So I called and emailed and wrote the producers of Iron Chef about a hundred times. And they finally <laughs> said, yes, you can come, come compete. I did it. I loved it. Top Chef reached out to me. I ended up doing Top Chef Masters. And then Gordon reached out because he was doing a new show and I'd cooked with him before. And I just literally flew out there. I had no, it was like one night, flew back the next morning. It was amazing to see all these other incredible chefs that were there, I guess, casting, you know, uh, doing the screen test stuff. And I just walked in like, I had none to lose. I have my restaurant. I'm doing great. Um, we'll check this out. And it, it, we all headed off. And then end of the night, the producers were like, this is a network show. This is going to be a huge thing. This isn't like, you know, cable, you know, whatever. It'll change your life. And it's like, oh, it sounds great. And in three <laughs> days, they called me and sent a contract. And I was out in a week to LA for nine weeks or something filming. Mm-hmm. And from that, did 10 seasons. And Ended up doing a couple pilots of my own show and then uh, uh, Top Chef and digital series and Cook's First Cons and uh, Family Food Fight, you know, all these other things. And I guess for me, maybe it's that whole moving around thing growing up, but you just kind of take every opportunity as it comes. So it's like, hey, we have a new idea for a show. Uh, do you want to come do it? And it's like, yeah, yeah, let's try it. That's great. And because you think it'll be all over tomorrow. Like I never buy into the whole Hollywood thing. You know, I don't live in LA. I live in Chicago. 10, 11 months a year, fly out and film, and that's it. So it can all be gone tomorrow, and it's great. It was super fun. But for some reason, I guess somehow, it's been a decade now, and it's still <laughs> going on. So it's like, wow, that went really quick. So I feel like the first 10 years was doing the chef thing. The next 10 years is more entertainment, if you will. And who knows what's next? Yeah. So I was curious about... What does the craft services table look like on some of those shows? I mean, are they the same as any other, or they like have to like up the bar a little bit? No, well, it. it I mean, the bar the bar is pretty up, but uh, what's amazing is that you have your own dressing rooms, and you're allowed to have your own stuff in there. So I've got my list of everything I, I like, and it's there every morning, and it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> what What was it like the first time you had to work out a hospitality writer? Um, oh, that's just so funny. You know what I mean? Like being able to say <laughs> right. what you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it can get dangerous too. Oh, like yeah. I don't need to get too, uh, too into stuff, but when you're by yourself in a hotel, like in mm-hmm. Colorado or somewhere for 
six weeks alone and you're done by midnight and you go into your room and you had asked for a bottle of this, a bottle of that. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know what I mean? Like it, oh, can, yeah. get, it can get dangerous. So it, it can. Um, I think that that's, that's something that's really inherent in our, our, our business anyway. So, and not just that, but like bad food, like, Oh my God. Like it's like being out of, out of your house for the first time as a kid. And you're like, I can have 10 boxes of double stuff Oreos on my desk <laughs> tomorrow morning. This is the coolest thing ever. Yes. Yeah. And then too much of a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. All, all things in moderation. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember the first time uh, I, I was filled out a writer and I actually had to look up in the dictionary. It was so long, you know, didn't even look it up on the internet. What, what's a hospitality writer? Uh, I was in a band way, way, way long ago. We had moderate success and whatever, but, uh, and we went the whole like, green M&Ms route, you know, we asked for, <laughs> we asked for sherbet, uh, uh, a Green Bay Packers helmet full of sherbet ice cream. Without and, the orange or something? Yeah, it was just <laughs> stupid, stupid stuff like that. And, uh, and they did such a great job. Um, they're like, we couldn't get a helmet, but they got us a football-shaped uh, chip tray with full of sherbet. And I'm just like, oh, that's so sweet. We, we're, we're, we're jerks. <laughs> All right, what band was it? Well, our band was called Citizen P., Okay. Um, and, you know, we did Summerfest um, and had moderate uh, Midwest, you know, Wisconsin success back in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, opening, opening bands like, you know, Face to Face, Eve Six. Citizen all right, I got to show you now. I got to show you. This is the joy of having the camera, right? All right. All right. Oh, no, you don't. Can you see <laughs> the Face to Face tattoo? <laughs> what if I'm right and you were wrong? What if you knew it all along? <laughs> uh, you don't wow. know what you will give up now. <laughs> yeah, he came into dinner last year. We talked to, you want a funny? We yeah. talked about doing a show together. Had a couple phone calls about doing basically a uh, love at first bite, where it's basically like your uh, newlywed, or not newlywed, the, the dating show or whatever, mm -hmm. but based on the food you're tasting, who you're going to uh, date. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. So again, everyone in music wants to be a chef. Every chef wants to be in a band. Every yeah. actor wants to try to do both now. So, well, um, you play you play guitar though, right? I do. I play guitar. I sing. Um, I kind of went. I used to be in a band. I went through my whole emo phase. Like some of my like this is the other tattoo. These are uh, this is actually some of my best friends are from Milwaukee. The Promise Ring. Ah. So they also have an, they broke up and then they have Maritime, but they're from there and. Um, Milwaukee area but I decided okay music will be the hobby and cooking will be the career if you will so you can only live in a van and, and play shows and sleep in basements for <laughs> so long a lot more people are willing to pay for good food rather than good music so and that's the problem right now that's yeah. changed since Spotify and you know what I mean yeah basically Napster but yeah, uh, Napster, yeah. no really I mean I, that broke the whole model right so mm -hmm. yeah but we're seeing the same thing happen in the food world where every food show now is a celebrity that's not a chef every cookbook coming out is some actress or Gwyneth Paltrow or Kardashian cookbook things like that and what does the word chef mean anymore someone that's got a million yeah. followers someone that has yeah. a blog somebody that you know does their own show on TikTok like again you, you don't need to be a restaurateur you don't have to be in a kitchen yeah. it's just you like food, then you're a chef, and you're part of this world now. So you, you celebrity, you mentioned that um, celebrity status. When did you feel celebrity status? When was the first time you, someone looked at you and, and you felt like, wow, I'm, 
I'm in that status. Everything really happened after the first season, the Master Chef, because again, Top Chef reaches five hundred thousand people, maybe on Bravo. Master Chef on Fox reaches six million, oh, and man. it's also it's network. It's you know, you own a TV, you get that channel, and it's not who makes the most amazing frozen foam that's been grated over raw, you know, whatever. It's mm-hmm. who makes the best meatloaf. So middle America, people that just like to cook, those are the people that when you're at a baseball game, you're walking down the street, you're at the airport especially, it's like, hey, you're that guy. I can tell by the white glasses. You know, <laughs> is Gordon really like that? What about when that one blind person won? Like it's all of that and it happens yeah probably once a day if I go out and it's funny because I I, like I said I absolutely love it like I love talking to people I love chatting up things I you know that kind of stuff and connecting Um, and I happen to be able to be who I am which is a pretty nice positive guy like if I was the one throwing stuff and yelling it probably suck because people wouldn't like me (laughs) but at least you know I'm like they always say like the Paula the judging panel so (laughs) I get to I'm friendly and nice but no, I really love it. But what's funny is if like I take off the glasses, yeah, I was just going to ask. No one knows just at all. Say. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's the reverse Clark Kent, I always say. So no yeah. one knows. But I don't. I mean, it's fun. It's amazing. And I, again, loving baseball. I remember going to games all the time. And one of my favorite players, I, I saw after the game, walking down the street, ran up to him, and uh, and he stopped, and he let me take a picture with him. And I know that if he didn't, thirty years later, I'd still hate him. Like I know how important it was. So I'll be in an airport and if someone wants to talk or take a picture, like I'll miss my flight to do that because I never can live with the fact of someone leaving being like, what a jerk. He didn't even talk to us Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's so cool and he, you know what I mean? So yeah, got to take the glasses off and yeah, yeah, make a dash. That that reminds me, like I worked uh, for Kenny Rogers for uh, a few years and I remember the band absolutely hated playing the gambler. And, but they did it and they had to do it. And, and Kenny never did. He never said that he hated it. He loved it. And he says, just because I've heard this song a million times and I've done it a million times, doesn't mean that they have, the audience has. It's their first time. It's their first time seeing me and it's their first experience. And I have to give it to them like it's my first time. And I have to to leave it all out there. So I, I, that's what I always imagined, like with celebrities, like with yourself, where, where you just, you treat a person in such a way that it'll be a, a positive, memorable experience, even though you might get tired of it or it might be exhausting, but it's their first time and they're going to walk away with that. Like you said, for 30 years from now, and they're going to love or hate you based on that, that one brief interaction. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I've done the same thing, right. You know, wait to say hi to someone, see somebody, you know, um, at the, the Cubs game, and I'm up in the, you know, seven inning stretch and, and everything else. And Eddie Vedder's there. Like, you don't think I'm going to wait for 10 hours to go say hi to Eddie Vedder. Like, mm-hmm. of course I am. Saved my life in <laughs> high school. And uh, if I went up and it was like, yeah, I don't have time. I'm sorry. I would break my heart. So it's, it's the same, the same kind of thing. And again, I'm nobody. I dropped out of high school and, and just like to cook and I'm so blessed. So if I do a demo and afterwards, people want to stand in line for half an hour to come and say hi. Of course. It's like, I'll talk all day, whatever you guys want to do, like let's hang out. So, and again, it can all be gone tomorrow and you're done Mm -hmm. and nobody, you know, who I was just listening to something for Ethan Hawke on NPR yesterday quoted 
because they asked him, like, do you get tired of people talking to you or asking about you, whatever? And he's like, no. He said, Dustin Hoffman said it best where it was the only thing worse than people recognizing you and bothering you is when they recognize you and don't bother you. Like, well, like, like once you're, once you're not famous anymore and you're just like, that kills you. So you're, you're always trying to still stay in that, that light, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. of course it's addictive. Who doesn't was, want someone to come yeah. up and say, Hey, I love what you do. Right. You know? So, so when you're out and I, I know people will, will say that they find it intimidating to cook for chefs. So if you're out and you're at a restaurant, do you ever, are you always judging or do you ever just tell people, look, I'm just here to be a guest. I want to enjoy myself. Not, not, um, not people that want to come up to you. I mean the restaurant itself. Like do you, do they put the extra pressure on themselves to make sure yeah. that everything is right? Or do you just want to be like, whatever you make is great. I just want to have what you make. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's always what I do. I basically, if I go to a restaurant, I'm basically just going to order everything off the, the appetizer menu. It's like what we do. We try everything. We love that. Because who wants to eat like 10 ounces of steak with, you know, vegetables and whatever. You want to try all the cool things. So generally, I will come in and just say, you know, whatever you recommend, whatever you love, whatever the chef wants to do, like, that's all I want. And chefs generally, whether it's TV or anything else, you could just like fight a chef coming from Omaha that made a rezzo because he's a chef. I want to send everything that I do to him. And like, you want to blow him away. You want to show off. You want to show how much you respect them and give them different extra things. So that's, that's kind of always what happens, right? Just like if you're in a band and somebody comes in, you want to play like some incredible stuff for them, you know, and, and show that you know how to play. I think that, uh, that that's always fun, but I do a lot of times, not at high-end restaurants, but, but if it's a mom and pop or something else, I do think that people get intimidated because I'll walk in and then I'll see the servers go and talk to the kitchen and everybody yeah. and then, you know... So I have to be aware of that and then also know that servers are always kind of listening. So it's not like I can get the dish and be like, well, I would have done this. And I really don't yeah. know about, like, I have to say like, this is incredible. Oh, thank the kitchen so much. I love <laughs> I it. I only wanted to eat half of it, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's like Thanksgiving, you move everything around on the plate and you're like, it's, I tried it all. But um, <laughs> but for me, the the, the deal breaker always it could be the best food in the world. It could be, um, uh, you know, free stuff, whatever it is. But if service lacks, that kills me every time. Like yeah. when you sit down and no one says hi, when it takes 20 minutes to get a water, when, you know, they come over and they just take your order, but they don't make eye contact or ask how you're doing. You know, I can have food be half an hour late and, cold, whatever, as long as the server's like, hey, just so you know, like, sorry, uh, this is coming, we talked to the kitchen, like anything. But people that are in the the world of service that don't like people, I don't understand. And it <laughs> always ruins me for like three days. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's everything, not just food. Like if I go to Target and yeah. go to check out and they don't look at me and they're talking to their friend bagging while I'm just standing there, like, and then they just ring me up. It's like, no, how's your day? No, how are you? No, like, <laughs> I hate you. Now you ruined my day. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I take it so personally. <laughs> I was I was thinking about uh, all the judging and stuff that you've done, and uh, it makes me think of uh, like Battle of the Bands when we would do like Battle of the Bands. I hated that because it was always like apples and oranges, and you're judging, you know, this uh, hip hop rap band uh, versus a thrash metal band. You know, it's just like 
come on, how can, how can we do this? How can we say one's better than the other? What's that right. like for you when you have such high level chefs competing against each other and where the dishes might be equal, but you have to find things to critique and to pick apart. What's that whole experience I, I, like? Are, are the producers tell you you've got to like tear apart something or you got to find something that no, just can't be perfect? Depends on the show. Like that's what's interesting is some shows are very organic and where they're not taking into consideration that you're making entertainment. It just happens to be food. You know right. what I mean? Like right, I, right. I love television as much if not more than the restaurant world now because i feel you're a cook you're working with the ingredients in front of you and that's what you do um tv you're either like acting or doing your thing or you're stepping back like you're owning the restaurant now and saying the lighting the story the this what if we send this guy home but next week we bring him back and now they're captains versus their enemy over here like then the guy you know the people at home are going to see this and this and, and that's what I enjoy more than anything. Where again, like music, if you play a guitar and sing, it's great. You step back and now you're producing your music and writing out the tour and then how you want this to look and then the stage set up and how we're gonna do the set list this way. And like, there's way more to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've been part of some shows where it's literally, okay, roll film, I taste the food. Yeah, I think this, you think that, this person's gonna win and then, <laughs> It's hard for me because I step back and I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Their dish is better, but they're really boring and no one's going to want to watch them. Mm. This person over here is incredible TV because they slag off this other guy every time that no one's looking. We need to cut that and then have them do this and this in the next episode. So we can't send them home right now, whether, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but the other judges do not like that. They're like, no, food's bad. That's it. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> I think it's interesting again and i'm not going to try to like say which shows but you can probably right, tell right. there's some that are much more here's 20 episodes it's going to start like this it's going to end like that we're going to film everyone equally but then cut it into pieces so you're basically making this story over a season where the other cooking shows it's just you know yeah the best cook wins but they're not fun they're not exciting they're not mm -hmm. whatever and, and that's not as fun to me, even though it's maybe a little more authentic. Hmm. When was a time that you were genuinely surprised or taken back in television? Something that just, that's very memorable. <sighs> like, um, oh, that was unexpected. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I think any time that we were doing uh, Junior with the kids. Hmm. I mean, we, we went in thinking that it would be a cute, fun show and everyone likes kids. But to see the level that they were cooking and that somehow food was now just like music, gymnastics, soccer, you know, whatever. It's this creative outlet that kids love and do mm -hmm. uh, was just phenomenal. You know, kids making macaroons and uh, homemade pasta and they're, you know, and they're 10 years old and it's not <laughs> the magic of television because we only have them for like 10 days during school break. They're only allowed to film X amount of hours by law. And, you know, they, they're going, just just as the there's s p standards and practices that are like all the lawyers of the show watching every part because if one person had an extra minute or if some judge spent more time with them like it's a huge thing so it's as real as it gets and mm -hmm. i think that was huge for me seeing that these kids could do that stuff you know you've always had piano virtuosos and, right. and then sports and all that and and since the explosion of of food on media it's 
you get you got these and it's only i guess it's only natural that that you got these kids that are just really crushing it and starting at super early ages well that's what i mean and it's funny because it's not it's all tech-based because my my son he just turned 10 is not he loves food and he cooks and everything else but he's very into like youtube and how can he come up with something that people are going to like and how does he get more followers and what do you do with it mm-hmm. and that's the medium cooking can be a vehicle uh drawing dancing music you know 10 year old doing a TikTok thing and having 10 million followers like that's unheard of but that's the new reality so um i i don't know and everyone grows up fast but maybe in a good way or there's something good that can come out of it where kids grow up quicker but in a positive sense you know not like oh life was so hard i had to, to step up when i was young but like oh my god a 10 year old knows how to like get online and do all these new things yeah, like finding skills and trades yeah like that's awesome somebody knows how to cook now like not just microwave a burrito but <laughs> actually heat up a pan and flip it like you know what i mean like that's awesome i still can't flip an egg like your son I, you did it one-handed i'm like i saw that with his other hand in the pocket yeah. like, two so nonchalant like that was the coolest thing cooking for me and he told me he's like i put the egg in first without the butter and then so i just put the butter on top and i'm like Hey, maybe it's a new skin, new technique. Who knows? Like, new. Yeah, there's, I would say there's no right or wrong in cooking. It's not black and white. It's gray area, right? Just like if you're right. playing guitar, sure, you tune it like this, but what if you tune it upside down and backwards? Like, what if, you know, do your thing, find your voice and mm-hmm. make your style. Like, uh, you're not going to cook a steak well done and call it raw, but who's to say that steak's not better grilled, poached, roasted, tartar, you know, it's whatever yeah. you're feeling at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Chef, it's clear you still, uh, you, you, you really like the, the entertainment side of things you're doing now. It's still, you can see the passion and the, the love of cooking that, you, that you've got. Thinking about what's next on the, on the plate as we get back maybe to normal someday. Are you, I think you, are you operating your, your, how many restaurants do you have going right now? Is it just I have the two. One? I have one in Macau overseas and I have one in LA that's like, you know, um, simpler like sandwiches salads all that kind of stuff um so i don't have anything fine dining and i sold the place i had here in chicago Mm -hmm. and luckily because they literally were quadrupling the rent when the lease was up and now all those places are closing so i guess everything for a reason (laughs) but i don't know what i want to do i love cooking i love entertaining whether it's on tv or just you know like if if the three of us were cooking together right now at, at home i love teaching and showing stuff so if i ever did a restaurant i would i feel it would have to be really small with me and trying to have it as hands-on as possible whether that's an open kitchen or people coming in the kitchen and helping make it you know stuff like that i don't want to just do 20 course menu and you know show off tweezer food so (laughs) you know good way to say yeah you know but uh but I really, I still do love enjoy, you know, and enjoy that, especially now that a lot of people love cooking, gener- you know, genuinely, not just I want to prove that I went to this restaurant and then, you know, post it and, and judge it and then go to the next one. Like people actually like ordering kits at home and cooking at home or going mm-hmm. to the market and trying to make food and that kind of stuff I think would be, would be awesome to, whether it's kids or a cooking school I don't know what it'll be, but but that's what I really feel I enjoy. I, I'd like side. to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, well, like, I, yeah, you 10 people coming into dinner, sitting at a table 50 feet away in the kitchen, serving it. And then at the end of the night, maybe you go to a table and say, hi, how was it? Versus no table. And those 10 people are in the kitchen with you mm-hmm. cooking and plating it all. And then we all sit down and eat it together. Like That's that would experience. be cool. Yeah. Right. And like talk yeah. about it and where it's from and where you've got the stuff and, you know, Infinitely that, more that memorable. I would want to go, I would want to go to work every day and do that. So that's cool. That sounds, yeah, that I, I see exactly why you're, you, that would be more fun than like you said, you're in the kitchen. Sometimes you come out and touch a table, but for the most part, when you're a chef, you're in the kitchen. That's your, that's your domain. Yeah. yeah. And also as an owner, you're like looking at the lighting and is the table crooked? Is the picture yeah. straight? Uh, what did that server do? Are we, you know, pushing this or that? I, it's almost like I'd rather just do it in my house, like three days a week. <laughs> 10 people are allowed to come in. They pay this, you know, it's like they pay admittance, you know, it's not nothing else and you do it. And my brother was telling me that that bands are doing that. Now there's like an app you can do where say that we have a band, we will go and play 20 spots this year uh, over the summer. And you basically, um, I can't think of the name of the, of the website, but you say, okay, counting crows are going to go and play and we're only going to do it for 40 people at someone's house mm-hmm. and people in that town will basically get on and like fight to host it, you know, and it's, it has to be this big, has to be whatever, but say you win, you have these people come over, counting crows are now in your living room and playing and people pay 50 bucks to come and do it. And the band takes that money. I thought, what if I did that? What if I go on tour and show up at someone's house, as long as they have this equipment and whatever, I'm in the kitchen cooking with them and then we hang out all night and we eat together and talk and wow. then I go to the next city. Like that would be cool. I love that. That, that sounds really that's cool. cool. Right? It's just, I yeah. think that's, then, then I don't need a restaurant. I don't need a kitchen. I don't need a team. I don't, it's like me dropping into someone's neighborhood. 50 people are showing up at the house and we're cooking around the stove and then hanging out for a few hours at <laughs> night, drinking wine and talking. Yeah. yeah you're just the, the Bedouin chef, you know, just, yeah exactly nomads Uh, that was that was something that um, when i was doing a little research for the podcast i something you'd said and um really hit with me and i was wondering if you could just reflect back on it for some of our listeners because i think what you said was when you're the chef in a restaurant you worry about the dish and or the you know everything that goes into the kitchen but when you're the owner of it when it has your name on the outside of it you worry now about everything and i think there's a lot of operators out there that that have that it's like how do you how do you let go or do you have any advice for anybody who's in that where their name is on the front of the building and they feel like when someone approaches that front door to the time they leave that's under that you know your control that people look at you and think well this is your place and how do you do you have any advice for people that are in that situation i think the the biggest thing i ever learned was that every single aspect of the restaurant is of equal importance so what is the first thing someone does? They click on the website or they call. So how do you make sure that that's as user-friendly and as genuine and passionate as possible? And someone answers the phone or you go to click online. When they walk in the restaurant, how can you have some kind of aroma or something hit them? How is the music setting it? Then when they sit down, what's the table look like? What's the menu like? You know, and then eventually you get into the kitchen. Like if your floor is dirty. That means that your pan's not clean. That means that your knife's dull. That means that you're not seasoning your food. Like every single thing from how the plastic wrap 
looks to how the labels on the spices are to just all of it has to be done at the same level and your name your reputation your word that's all you have your character and life that's that's it so you're being judged by every aspect of that and so you want it to be as perfect as possible so i feel that once you create that culture everyone else buys into it and they're doing that as well so you want the bartender to walk in and wipe down everything and change all this stuff out and cut the the limes and lemons to order so that they're still fresh and they grate the zest over the top because why wouldn't you? It gives it extra aroma and flavor and everything else instead of me trying to go up and manage someone all day and tell them to do that. You know, I want my kitchen, the, the, the team, I want them to be chefs. I don't want them to be cooks. So like we're in a band and play equal parts. There's no leadership, you know, no hierarchy you're the fish cook, you're the meat cook. I want you to come to me and say, you know what? It's really warm today. What if we did uh, a ceviche instead of grilled tuna? Oh, well, that sounds great. Let's try it out. You know, what if we did this? What if we did that? Instead of me just conducting and dictating it all and saying, this is how it's supposed to be. So when I open a new restaurant or a new place opens across the street and someone moves over, they move into that chef role. It's not like I give them a title and now they finally care, and now they're really gonna be a chef. Like, you want all of them to do that no matter what anyway. That's, that's the biggest thing for me is creating a vision and getting everyone on board buying into it. Create the vision, create the culture, right? Yeah, and lead it by example and be willing to change all the time, you know? Like, can't, can't get into the I'm right, and that's the only way to do it. You know, you should have influence from everyone. I mean, we used to do that with the with the, the playlist. I want everyone to come up with like two or three of their favorite songs right now, the weirdest bands or whatever, let's put it on and like that's what we're playing. And when you do that, playlist. everyone cares about the music and everyone knows that that's an extension of them and they wanna be able to do that. Same thing if you're like, I want everyone in the kitchen to come up with three new dishes this week for the new menu. Like let's go over it, let's check it out, let's, it's a collaborative deal. Yeah, creates a buy-in and ownership from the employees that, you almost can't put a monetary value on. No. Again, like if we're in a band and I just said, I'm the singer and front man and you play it like this and that's all. And then why would you want to be in that band? You bide your time until you like went and did your own thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're all equal and we're all having a say and it's like, I like this. Oh, that's cool. I didn't think of that. Oh, maybe I'll play it this way instead. Oh, cool. Let's do that. Like that's more fun. Mm-hmm. Always. So we thought we would have a little fun with you today and something that um, we would just do a five quick five questions just to kind of put you on the hot seat a little bit, but nothing too serious. So we'll start with a a fast five and I've got a couple and Justin's got a couple here. So um, I think just to start out, I had a different question, but through the course of this all, I think I'm going to change it. So I'm going to just start out with um, a quick one of red meat or seafood. Seafood. All right. So this might not be as as fast as, fast but what is a, a hidden skill or talent that you have that you generally don't share or that other people just don't know uh i'm a good dancer mm, yeah. yeah very good i always can tell how somebody i mean uh, again i've always been a fan of knowing you can tell someone is in the kitchen in the bedroom and solid certain situations based on how they move on the floor well you know you, you got to be good on your feet if you skate you know so yeah exactly What's the one movie when you see it on TV, you're like, uh-oh, I'm stuck watching it over and Predator. over and over. Predator. 
Brad Knight. I always tell people that I'm, I got an important meeting with the mayor in an hour and somehow I turn it on and it's like, get to the chop. And it's like, I got to stop everything. <laughs> I am watching that. Like everyone in this movie became a governor somehow. Like <laughs> <That's> it's, <right. laughs> it's like, well, it's the one, I don't know why. Like I have a ton of favorite movies and I wouldn't turn predator on and watch it right now. But mm. if it's on, I'm not turning it off. It's like, sorry. It's just what it is. It's sorry, man. It is. <laughs> Ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> Love that movie. Oh. That's, that's what I'm saying. Something oh. about it. All right. If you could create a super all-star band from across the timeline, this is kind of a, a pulled from uh, the most recent Bill and Ted movie. I don't know if you've watched it yet. I did but... not see it yet. I heard it was great, though. You know, I love Keanu. I mean, so that's, I'll watch whatever. I just rewatched The Matrix this week. Oh, love that. I did. I just yeah. watched it. Yeah, so I, pre- I even appreciate the other ones, but you know, the first one just the first blew my mind, blew yep. my mind. Yep. That's, yep. that's a whole nother podcast right there. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> all right. But if you could create a super all-star band from across all time, who would you put in it on what instrument? Mm, that's interesting. Elvis is the front man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's easy to, to try to pick the best and be like, oh, Hendrix on sure. guitar and Neil Peart on drum. But no. No. Uh, Stuart Copeland on drums. All right. Um, let's see. Nate Mendel from Sunny Day Real Estate and now Foo Fighters on bass. Um, Quality. Yeah. Unexpected, though. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking that those two guitar or uh, rhythm section, bass and drum, that would be amazing. Uh, Elvis singing from i mean elvis could do rock pop gospel soul uh every i just my favorite um and guitar i almost wanted to say paul simon just because i love i love paul simon i love paul simon i think every generation deserves a paul simon i mean just guitar work and mm-hmm. and songwriting ability uh, yeah i don't know the, the guitar part when it comes to rock and roll guitar uh as much as i never liked them growing up I feel Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin are pretty, pretty great. Like, yeah. I really do. I go back and then, like, I feel I always had the, we were skating. So we were listening to like Black Flag and Misfits and all like the cool, like, so if you like Led Zeppelin, you suck because you like music everyone likes. Like, it's right. not cool to like them. But then I go back and listen. I'm like, God damn, every band in the world wanted to be Led Zeppelin still. Everyone yeah. wants to sound like that. They all want to be front man like that with a shirt open, like, and Jimmy Page on guitar, every song I listen to, I'm like, this is sick. Like, this is, I really love it. So maybe, maybe Jimmy Page. All right. Okay. I dig that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the other one could be Johnny Marr on guitar. Oh. So well, I you got to play, you're, you're playing in this band too, though. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing You can take the collective soul and have three guitars. <laughs> <laughs> no, God, that was during the, the phase, like of two years where every singer was just trying to be Eddie Vedder. Oh uh, yeah! Everyone had that voice. Yeah, the '90s, the '90s uh, voice. What was oh, the yeah. movie Ted? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. One last question, then on the fast. Not fast. We got to yeah, rename these. Not fast five. They're fives. <laughs> They're just so. Five. I I read a little bit as well, and I know that you've uh, prepared a meal for Obama. That must have been mm. pretty cool. And and celebrities in general. So when you're doing this, are you more nervous or more excited? More excited. I think we're more nervous as a, a collective for chefs when we're cooking for other chefs. Okay. Gordon Ramsay coming in, Fran Adria, Grant Ackett's, you know, David Chang, you're way more stressed out cooking for them than you are a musician, politician, or actor. 
That okay. makes sense. Very cool. They're 99% of the time, they're, you know, they know good food or whatever, but they're just super cool. They want somewhere to hang out in the back and just have a good time. So they're, they're always super nice, super thankful. But it is funny, like I, I, I have a list, literally, I write down lists for everything. I think because, again, moving around, I have a tendency to forget a lot of things. So I, I note it all. And I have a list of everyone that ever came in that, uh, that was a quote-unquote celebrity. And there's certain ones that were just really cool, like Rod Stewart, Robert Redford, John Cleese. All of those guys come up to the kitchen and say thank you to everyone, mm-hmm. and they're so nice. But one guy, we had six seats at the, at the chef's counter, and you're basically just there with the three or four of us in the kitchen, and you're talking to us the whole night and hang out. Three nights in a row – um, Michael Keaton came in and just ate by himself and we just talked the whole, oh, and it's cool. like, so awesome. Like just such a an cool, awesome thing, you know, love yeah. that. That's refreshing to hear some of those names that they're actually yeah, cool I mean, really, You like, never know. You never know until you have those experiences. Yeah. I can't think of anyone that came in that was not nice, not cool. You know, a celeb that was like, I want this and I don't like that. And I, you know, I'm sure that, Sometimes when they, like at the peninsula, if they stayed in a hotel, they would want room service a lot because they didn't want to come down and their orders were ridiculous. But I'm guessing a lot of that was also like their assistant saying it has to be this, this, and that. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. One person that was not nice at Lollapalooza that we cooked for because we would be in the back, we're cooking for the bands, get to talk to them, you know, they're really cool. One person that was not cool, did not say thanks, did not say hi to anyone was just not a good dude was jack white i've i've heard that before and you know what can you do and was it consistently like that or did you just have a bad day just the one, i have no idea it was a oh. long time but what's weird is he was playing and apparently as a band of like 10 women and a band of 10 guys and he brings them both with him <laughs> and he doesn't tell them which one's coming to play until like 15 minutes before the show to keep them on their toes so that they're ready. You know, it's one of the, where I'm like, you know Uh, what? I uh, get you're an artist and you're, but no, I like, come on. I, there's just some people where I'm like, that's just lame. That's like, I don't know. I don't like it. But, uh, but it's, there's also funny shit where like you're, you're playing with Metallica, you know, I'm like five feet from them and I have the set list and I know, there's 100,000 people watching and Ender Sandman's next. And I so want to like scream out to the crowd, what's, what's next, you know? Like, <laughs> like I have like, it's like Back to the Future with that, that book of- uh, Yeah, the sports, sports almanac. Yeah, almanac. I'm just like, get ready. But they're all in black and you know, every other word is like, yeah, you know? And, uh, and then you go backstage and cook for them and they're all in like flip flops and Hawaiian shorts. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've, I've seen the other side. I, can never go back. The but, magic uh, is gone. <laughs> yeah. But the one person more than any band that we cooked for that had just pure presence, like walked from the stage back and everyone parts like the, the sea and uh, has like the hoodie on and short, not a big dude is Eminem. Like, oh, yeah. Amazing. And, Super nice. Let everyone go first. Then he came and got his food. And then he came back and told me, like, yo, dog, I mean, I've never had lobster before. This is the first time I ever had it. And I, I liked it. Thanks. And then um, <laughs> cooked for him again. And I got, like, the, the bro hug. And then oh. he introduced me to Rihanna. And I was like, oh, like, Whoa. this is cool. Wow. Like, again, yeah. I know 
talking to Gordon and everyone else, it's like you go and do these upfronts in New York and over there's Zoe Deschanel and over there's Simon Cowell and there's, you know, all these different people that are on the shows and you have to kind of act like you're all equal, you know, mm. even though deep down, I'm still starstruck by everyone. You gotta act, yeah, you gotta act like, ah, it's good, yeah, good to see you yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, no, you do, I love that show. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, when you're back there with certain bands, you're just like still pinching yourself, like, you know, that you're seeing these guys and that you get to do that stuff. Like, that's, that's super cool. That is. Well, you think about it, though, you're really probably the only person that can impress them because you're making food and amazing. That's something that's generally out of their reach of talents and skills. And we all need to eat. So, I mean, I bet they're looking up to you at a, at a different level, you know? It's like, so that's... It is, yeah, it's true. And it's funny because I will always invite every band that I like when they're coming into town to dinner. So that's why Face to Face came in. Jimmy World, Coheed and Cambria, uh, nice. you know, Passion. Every band that I uh. love, they come in. My favorite was Morrissey. Uh, right morrissey comes in for dinner and i'm just sitting there like oh my god this is the best bragging rights of all time like you know what i mean like yeah i cook for obama on his birthday but morrissey, morrissey. Like, <laughs> he's, like you can spot that hair like 10 tables away like it's uh, just the best yeah. so um yeah like your I show said, right that, there that, that's the coolest thing yeah i love it i just uh. think that's uh amazing and I'm, I'm never not humbled by it that's cool chef uh before we let you go i know that um we, we talked to you about a, a quote and there's always some point in your career that, you know, this, this comes up or somebody says something that sticks with you or you read it or some way, something just really grabs onto you and says, you know, this is, this is something cool. Do you have that, anything like that in your life that you could share with our listeners as far as a, a quote or a saying or something that really, really motivates you or, or drives you? Well, it's funny. I, I literally am looking right now at my favorite quotes and uh, there's so many good ones. Well, my favorite was always, if it's not broken, then break it. But here's one, the earth without art is just eh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's cool. Um, well, uh, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah, God. I don't, uh, I, I always like that one. What is it? When, uh, when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm. I think that's, that's cool. I guess the one that I always love is actually Jerry Garcia, who I am not a great, I couldn't name a Grateful Dead song, but I love the idea of like Grateful Dead and fish and like going, just it's the same way I cook, walk in the kitchen, what do we have in the cooler? Let's put something together. Just um, jamming. No signature dishes. Yeah, exactly. And just, you know, well, what if we puree the carrots instead? Oh shit, well now we can actually, let's do a carrot soup. That's even cooler. Oh, well, what if we juice the carrots and then added it to this? Like. That's awesome. So I love that idea. But he said, I don't want to be the best guitarist. I want to be the only guitarist where it's, I want to be the only one to do what I do. Like I want to, I want to do Graham Elliott food. Like I don't want to, I'm not from Italy. I don't do Italian food. I'm not, you know, a sushi chef. I'm not. So I, I like that. Mm. I think is, is something that I go back to a lot, you know, and uh, when you start to get, stagnant or you know you never want to fall back on signature dishes it's kind of like we were talking about with bands where kenny rogers has to play this still finds a way to enjoy it you know i, I talked to another guy in a band matt Pryor was in a band called the get up kids but he always says when they do a show it's one for you one for me one song for you one for mm -hmm. me you know and uh, yeah. and i think it's similar i have a couple of dishes that 
have been written about or photo, whatever, that people always love and they talk about it. I can't like get rid of that just because I don't want to make it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because again, like you said, people tell me they haven't had it before. Well, it doesn't, you know? it doesn't really belong to you anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and these people have read about it and want to try it and, and give me money for it and have fun when they're done eating it. Why? Because of ego or whatever, am I going to say, well, I don't want to make it anymore, so you can't have it. Like, that's kind of dickish. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but I do like that idea of just being the only one to do yeah. what I do, which is, again, you keep coming back to the finding your own voice, right? How do you look at a Van Gogh or a Pollock or Mondrian or anyone and say, in half a second, I know who painted that. Like, that's what I, I would like is for somebody to be able to see my food and be like, I know who that is. That's an Elliot so, dish right there. Yeah. Cool. That's neat. Well, thank you. That, that was, that was fantastic. And, you know, is there um, a way that you please let us, our listeners know if there's something they want to find out about you to find out what's next. Is there a place they can go to find that out? Yeah. I mean, on Twitter and on Instagram, it's at Graham Elliott. So G R A H A M E L L I O T. So one T. Um, but I mean, I'm adamant about doing all my own social stuff. I don't have an assistant. I don't have a social media person. I, I do everything my own. And that's amazing too. I get people to message me all the time about stuff and I can write them right back five seconds later, you know? So yeah. mm-hmm. there's no, no middle man anymore, publicist, whatever. So um, yeah, if anyone ever wants to chat, do anything, I'm there. Cool. Right cool. On. Very cool. You know, I had one last thing and this really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but um, so you and I, we come from that micro generation. Uh, I, I really don't like the name for it, but you know, what else are you going to call it? But uh, Zillennial, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But and uh, so we got Nate on the line, and then uh, we got Rich, and they're they're on either end of that. And I said, uh, "Well, you know, you're a millennial if you were too young to know what Voltron was, but you're too old to enjoy Power Rangers." And <laughs> and I said, "If you guys understand that, then then you're probably a millennial." And they're just like, mm, yeah, "Sorry." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird. Um, I, like, I have Voltron. I, oh, I, I did too. Have this te- no, I mean, I have it now. I have this weird tendency <laughs> to, because of, I always blame everything on moving around that, and also not having money growing up, I couldn't get those things I really wanted. Yes. So now I go back and I buy me- the original Optimus Prime and the GI Joes I wanted. Oh, and man. Shockwave a- and, um, you know, Voltron and I buy I have like 30 of the original WWF uh, wrestlers with the ring so I have that and then I let my kids play with them all but it's like I it's really weird to be 43 now and to be able to hold a toy I wanted 35 40 years ago mm-hmm. like He-Man you know a Skeletor or whatever yep. and it's this really not a security blanket but it's just this weird thing of like I have this that I always wanted and it's mine now and uh yeah instead of you know buying a fancy car or anything else like i just like memories and stuff that i can somehow connect to again yeah well the fact that you're able to share it with with your your kids and you know it's not so it is kind of an emotional hole that's filled i think if it would be a lot less impactful if if it was just me collecting stuff and yeah it would still be important and cool but the fact that you can actually play with it and use imagination with it it's fulfilling that 
that gap from your childhood, you know, like I was a big GI Joe junkie and you know, there's some things I would never afford, you know, like, no, but like I just went and bought the original, like, well, not just bought like a year ago, but uh, storm shadow with all the swords, all the things all, you know, and it's like, amazing and i'm sitting there and just oh. looking at it as like a piece of art and a piece of history in 1984 and mm-hmm. i was seven and this was the cartoon i liked and there was zartan and there's this and i'm yeah. like this is just to hold it it immediately brings me back to living on this street for this long and this were, these were my friends and this was whatever and then i moved so i don't know i just think it's it's really uh really cool it is it is i i saw on your feed um are you ever going to get the aircraft carrier? No. I, so many people think that that thing was just a myth, like it didn't exist. Like, you know, like nobody had it. But they, there's one for sale for like 10 grand on eBay oh, right God. now. <laughs> I, I had the, the double-bladed Chinook helicopter. I asked Santa for it one year, and I knew I wasn't going to get it. And then it just showed up. And that, that was like easily the most memorable Christmas. It was just and then I don't know what happened to it. It's gone. All my GI Joes are gone. I think my parents sold them off. <laughs> yeah, I have the the Tomcat jet and the uh, oh. the blue Cobra A10. Yep. Like so, my boy Jedediah plays with those. And oh. um, I'm a yeah, little they're, jealous. They're good stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty. It's pretty fun. All right. <laughs> yep. You guys need a whole podcast off on on music and uh, your uh, toy career, your toys here. <laughs> you guys like. Reminisce. What generation are you again? No, I'm. I'm a. It's it's in between Generation X and Millennials. It's 1977 through oh, 1983, yeah. roughly. Justin, you think we got enough? I think so. <laughs> it's a three-part yeah. series. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Chef, thank you so much for uh, taking the time with us today. It, it's been a lot of fun. Here, you guys. I could just sit back and and listen to you guys. Uh, talk i mean the the food the, the the interest that you have outside of food all really cool stuff thank you so much again for sharing it with us today we appreciate it and wishing you uh, all the best going forward we look forward to the next graham elliott uh, adventure yeah maybe i'll come i'll do a tour and come up there you absolutely yeah, that'd be awesome. yeah anytime you're welcome all right all well, right hit Jeff, me up. thanks let me know if thanks, you have any questions all right guys cheers thank you so much take care thank you yeah. Wow. Well, I said it in the beginning of this and I'll say it again. What a great, what a great day and a great podcast, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Awesome. So any final thoughts from you, Justin? Yes, absolutely. I would love to remind everybody to please click that subscribe button. Never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And you know what? While you're at it, we would also appreciate a review from you. Let us know how we're doing what we could improve on and give us any feedback that you think uh, would help us along the way. And everyone else, please, if there's anything at all you want to hear from us, uh, you want to ask a question, hear about something on the show, give us uh, some advice. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Just reach out to us at ballrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And I think the quote today is probably really applicable to our guest in that don't worry about the other guy and what they're doing. Just focus on what you do best, and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you had a great week. Have a great week ahead. And so until next time, take care.